The NBA season has arrived. Our NBA expert sizes things up. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up! Welcome to Joe Tilly Sports. We've got another great show for you today, folks. Uh, first of all, a high school All-American, a two-time Pac-10 All-Star at UCLA. He played 14 seasons in the NBA, suiting up at small forward for six N NBA clubs. He led the NBA in three-point shooting percentage in 93-94. He spent three seasons as a Toronto Raptor, including an incredible 95-96 campaign where he played all 82 games, averaging 16.2 points a game, four and a half rebounds. He shot 40% from downtown, a former assistant coach with the L.A. Lakers, now a game analyst in the NCAA with the UCLA Bruins, his alma mater, Tracy Murray, ladies and gentlemen. Also pleased to be joined by the host of On Point Basketball on the Barnburner Network, former global TV sports reporter, the man with his finger on the pulse in Canadian basketball, Captain Canada, Drew Ebanks. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Tracy, Thanks first of all, let me say, you, you, know, you, you started at UCLA in the early, early 90s, a two-time Pac-10 All-Star, but your career almost never happened. You had the you had the hip injury when you were uh, 14 years old. You were able to bounce back from that. Okay, first of all, Drew, let's let's get back to you for a second here. Talk a little bit about Tracy. Uh, you, I think you were there. In the, were you there day one when the the Raptors uh, first game? Oh yeah, I, I was. I mean, I don't. I wasn't at the first game, but I was definitely around and uh, you know very excited, Joe, about a basketball team coming to Toronto. I mean, to get highlights even. In Toronto back in those days, uh, you know, I remember racing home to be able to watch, you know, one or two shows that actually showed highlights. So uh, when the Raptors had the contest to pick the name, we know there was a lot of fun made about that. Um, and it finally got done. But man, oh man, was I excited to have basketball, especially after the world championships uh, as well, right? Um, you know, and you just have to say, look how much Toronto has grown, uh, you know, since day one of the Raptors, man, back in the early 90s. Okay, Tracy's back with us. Uh, Tracy, thanks uh, for coming back. We were just talking a little bit about that first Raptors team back in 95, 96. But I want to get back to what I was asking before about your, you know, your little buddy, about your history. When you're 14 years old, you had a hip injury. Doctors, many doctors told you, you would never play basketball again. Obviously, you played basketball. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us what happened and 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 that story. Well, that situation was I, I was five uh, ten at the time, and uh, I just finished uh, an AAU season that that summer. Um, actually, it was the beginning of that summer, going into the ninth grade. Uh, I slept a lot that summer. All of a sudden, I just took off. I started growing. I started growing like crazy. Um, I grew from 5'10 to 6'4 in three months. And wow. my bone started growing out the socket and curving. So they had to go cut out the curved part, place eight screws in place, and the bone had to mend back together. So you can imagine how devastating that was to a 14-year-old Tracy Murray who's dreamed of to play in the NBA. Um, but I was, I was um, a chubby kid. I uh, didn't have a strong core, and my body was growing crazy, and my, and my core couldn't 
couldn't stabilize and couldn't handle the way I was growing. And, um, you know, I had a major hip surgery and they told me I'd never play again. So back then it was really rare. Um, but I did find Dr. Stanford Noel at the LA orthopedic hospital. Uh, he said that he'll pick, he'll fix me up. No, no problem. So, uh, after that, um, I, I was just chomping at the bit to get back on the court. Well, Noel, of course, is uh, French for Christmas, and, and it, it was like a great Christmas <laughs> present, the fact that you were able to play again. Not only that, but three years mm -hmm. later, 17 years old, you're, you're high school All-American. You're leading the nation in scoring, and, uh, you know, all you know, player of the year in, in just about every league you play in. And, uh, wow, I, how were you able to go from, from, you know, from, you know, to get to that level? I mean, you must have worked really hard. I worked, yeah, I, I finally knew what hard work was because I was, I was good. My dad would always tell me to go out and shoot 800 to 1,000 shots a day. That's how I became a good shooter. Um, but the athletic things, the lifting of the weights, the doing the push-ups and the sit-ups and the jumping the rope to speed my feet up, all of that stuff was the, la the less glamorous part of basketball, the real work, uh, so to speak. So I learned through rehab and coming back what real work is and, and, and real work to, to be good. And when you sit there a whole year and you watch a lot of people pass you by that you are better than and they're getting all the accolades and, and you're sitting there and you love the game and they're telling you you'll never be anything again, to uh, push you to, to run through all kinds of walls and have an undying work ethic. And that's what ended up happening with me. Drew, you want to step, step in there and ask uh, Tracy a question? Um, obviously, Tracy, you put up a lot of points, um, okay, you know, when Drew. you're... Sorry? I can't hear Drew, okay. He, he can't hear you, Drew, so it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up the question for you. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to... Uh, I'm just going to continue on a little bit about your career. So you're drafted first overall uh, by the Spurs, and, and then uh, you, you end up getting mm -hmm. traded seven days later, twice in one day. End up in Portland turned out to be a pretty good situation for you. You ended up winning the three-point uh, championship there, forty-five point nine points, <laughs> or sorry, forty-five point nine uh, three-point percentage for for uh, for Portland. Then you get traded again, and, and you end up in Houston, and you get a ring. So all that all, all that trading worked out for you, right? Well, I learned about the business early. You know, I was a twenty-year-old rookie. And then I, I come in there and I learn about the business early. You're only an asset. You, you are a piece that can be moved at any time. Uh, the only people that have somewhat of a stable ground in the NBA are the, probably the top two guys on every team. Everybody else can be moved. The only time those guys leave are, is, is if they're chasing a bigger contract or there's a new coach come in, like in Clyde's situation, PJ came in, they weren't really getting along too well. And, and Clyde just felt like his welcome was, was worn out in, in Portland. And it was time to go to uh, different pastures. And, and they sent him home. You know, they appreciated him so much of what he did in Portland that, you know, he was blessed enough to be sent home and play with his college teammate again, Akeem, the great Akeem Olajuwon. And that situation was awesome. To go from a really good team that was fighting that when I joined them, they had just come from the finals. Um, that was their window. So now you're seeing 
you know, a, 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 I'm not going to say a decline, but they're, they're pretty much flying stealth. Uh, they're not going to get any better and, and get to the finals again. And then Clyde um, with the trade, and I'm along in the trade, uh, to come to a team that just won the championship, they kind of stalled out. They're kind of having a good time, and, and they needed a shot in the arm. And, and that's what Clyde Drexler was, was the shot, shot in the arm that the Houston Rockets needed, another guy that was hungry for a championship, and, and it helped get everybody else back in line to, to win again because they were, they were enjoying the championship so much that they forgot that there was another season going on. Right. And then, okay, so you get the ring in Houston. Uh, it was a great situation that, that, that worked, trade worked out extremely well for you and Clyde. The, uh, now you get uh, the end of that season, you're picked up by the Raptors. It's an expansion franchise. Tell us about that experience. What was it like being, being a, a Raptor in that, in that inaugural season? Well, first of all, uh, I'm going to back it up to before training camp. Um, I led the league in threes. I got in the championship by age 23, but I wasn't proven on the court really uh, to, to everybody else's standard. I was still unproven. Um, so there was no one knocking on my door free agency. And I'm not too sure, you know, my agent's relationship with everybody. So you have two expansion teams, Vancouver and Toronto. I'm sitting at home. I am protected during the expansion draft. As soon as the expansion draft was over, Houston decides they're not going to resign me. So now I'm a free agent. The teams are already set. And I'm sitting there with no home, nowhere to go. So I am working my butt off every day, workouts, tour days, sand dunes, beach runs, weight room skill work and it wasn't until like the fourth day or fifth day of training camp where you know it's a couple of days before the inaugural game that's when i show up to toronto because my agent kept saying he kept trying to get more money i just needed a spot in the league and he said you know isaiah is not buzzing off i said look i don't need to know what type of money is, is, you know, in the situation here. Give me Isaiah's number. Let me talk to him. Because Isaiah and I already had a, you know, a cool relationship. He was like a big brother anyway. So, and this goes back to the Detroit days and the days of working out in L.A. You know, I got to know him. So, he, um, he's like, Chase, we don't have any money. All we have is minimum. But we have plenty of time, opportunity to reestablish yourself as a pro, you got shots, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity here. It's a great city. You know, you got a bunch of good players here. You know, I think we have a good situation. So I told him to send me a ticket. And this is without my agent's approval or anything. I told him to send me a ticket, and I fired my agent. So well, that, was, that, uh, that yeah. situation, yeah, yeah. So that, so that situation, now I'm coming in to a training camp where, you know, guys are getting ready to play. I mean, pretty much the rotation is about to be established, and I come in there with all guns blazing the first couple of days. I didn't miss too many shots. I was in great shape. I kept running. I wasn't tired. Um, so um, made the team. 
um, worked my way into uh, the rotation coming off the bench by by the first game. And that first game was unbelievable. The energy in the building sold out like 39,000 people or something like that in there to see us win our first game of, of, of our franchise history. But that, that season was unbelievable. It was my best year as a pro. Um, the city was very, very supportive. Um, the cool thing about it is I helped educate the fans of, you know, because they're used to hockey. Um, right. The Blue Jays have just won the championship. So it's, it's a little bit different with the NBA. You know, they used to have those popper things behind the basket. And yeah, um, the there was one time. Yeah, they were yeah, they were waving them, right? And and we're at the free throw right. line. I'm at the free throw line. And I'm shooting. <laughs> and I was asked by a media person, why was I laughing at the free throw line? So I said, Okay, education <laughs> first. First first educational point for, for uh being a home crowd. When we're at the free throw line, you don't wave them. So it it was that was my first time really like touching the fans through the TV. And, you know, then after that, just questions kept coming to me like that. And then I kept throwing those jewels out about, you know, pretty much educating the public about NBA basketball. And then the appearances came and I got to touch people and hang out and meet people. And it was just an incredible experience. NBA 101 with Tracy Murray. It was awesome. <laughs> so you, yeah, you guys were, you guys were, were expected to be, I guess, ambassadors too, right? Because you were, the NBA yep. game was coming to Canada. It was a new thing, and and that first season, I, I there, well, I mean, on the court, uh, there were a lot of, uh, I guess, ups and downs, mostly downs in that first year. I mean, uh, but there was one game, okay? Like, uh, first of all, I want to just say, uh, just recap. Yeah, you had a great, great season, 16.2 points a game, four and a half rebounds, and shot 40% from downtown in that first season. You were incredible, had, had a great season. And and uh, and then the, the, the Bulls come to town, all right? And the Bulls are, are uh, mm-hmm. I think they are 60 and seven at the time. You guys are 1848. So here's Michael and, and Jordan and the Bulls coming to town, possibly, the best NBA team of all time, and uh, mm-hmm. and and Tracy Murray goes to town against the Bulls. He had uh, 23 points, 12 rebounds, and, and what a, what a, what a game that was! Tell us about your thought. Tell us what you remember from that game. Well, what I remember that game was the energy in the building. Um, the night before also helped out. <laughs> John Sally had one of his famous parties, man, and and all the Bulls were there. And, um, uh, you know, the, it, the party was so good that they were out extremely late. You know, they had a few drinks. And what I remember about that game coming in the warm-ups is we had both courts. The team was still in the locker room. No one came out to shoot. I think they were still recovering <laughs> <laughs> from the night before. So Thank you, John so that, that was That was <laughs> – yeah, thank you, John, Sally, and, and thanks to my teammates. All of us knew when to leave. So, right. you know, no right. one hung out right. with the Bulls. We made sure we slipped out of there and left them in there. So uh, that, that, that was a good thing. But the energy in the building, um, another sellout. Michael Jordan's in town. The fans are excited. 
um, we always matched up pretty well with them. That, that, that's the crazy thing. We've always played them tough. Um, but they're the Bulls. They're the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest team in history. And when you have a team like that, they always have a bullseye on them. I mean, Vancouver almost beat them until my college teammates started talking trash to Michael, and then Michael goes crazy. But, you know, this is one of those things where we matched up well with them. We had a chip on our shoulder. A lot of people look at that season as a lot of ups and downs. It's, a, it's an inaugural season. We're, su- we're not supposed to go to the playoffs. I thought we had a successful first season. If you look up and down the record books and you see what teams that we've beaten that year, we beat the Chicago uh, uh, 72-10 and 10 team. We beat the Orlando Magic that went to the finals the year before against us when, when we beat them in the championship in Houston. So we had some marquee wins that year to put, you know, the, the interest in Toronto Raptor basketball from the beginning. Vancouver didn't have those wins. So, look, fast forward now, Vancouver's in Memphis. We're still in existence. And, and, and you got to uh, credit that first year of laying the foundation, everything that Isaiah did from drafting Damon Stoudemire and what the organization did, you know, that first year, you know, on the court was easy because off the court, we were everywhere. We were from Toronto to Barrie to Montreal to Saskatoon to Niagara Falls, Buffalo. We're selling the game of basketball in Eastern Canada. So this is, this is like after practice. Okay, we need you guys to go do this. We need you guys to go do that. I can't tell you how many times, because it wasn't a $10,000 fine for missing um, appearances back then. So there will be some guys that will skip out on appearances. So I'll be asleep, you know, because I stayed at the Sky Dome, so it was real easy for me to go up and down the practice. If they needed me, they'll just come to the lobby, call my room, I'll come down, go do an appearance. So there are countless times where I would be asleep after practice, like so-and-so skipped on their appearance. We need you now. And we'll get, it'd be me, the Raptor, Elaine Kwan, who was our, our you know, PR uh, at the time, community relations, and, and six dance pack members. And we'll jump in that little van and we'll go two hours, three hours away, go do the appearance and come back. So it was a grind that first year for everybody. And, to sell the game of basketball, to gain more interest off the court, we'll all lead it back to the court. So it was a fun, educational first year. Right. Drew, I, I, Drew, I think you, uh, Tracy can hear you now if you want to uh, pop yeah. in with a question for him. Oh, so. Tracy, can you hear me? That's my man right there. That's my man, Drew. I can hear him now. <laughs> Good to see you, brother, man. I know how much we've talked about, uh, you know, you being here and, what it's meant for you, uh, you know, and what it's meant for everybody to have you a representative, guys like yourself, guys like Mo, guys like JYD. I think you guys will forever be loved uh, and cherished in this city. I remember that game. Um, I remember, you know, you guys beating the Bulls and just it was it was an unbelievable moment. 
Um, my question for you is at that time, even with all what that you guys did as far as trying to sell the game, as trying to uh, sell a new sport, you know, just before that, we had had the, uh, the FIBA World Championships here in Toronto, which I covered as well. And then when the NBA team was playing and doing their thing and beating teams like the Bulls, did you have any doubts, you know, that this team would survive here in Canada and that basketball would survive here, NBA basketball would survive in Canada? I, I had no doubt because you look at what Major League Baseball did there and the, the Blue Jays had just won a couple of championships. Joe Carter was huge when, when we first got there. Um, you look at, at that success, we already know hockey because hockey is, is, is their sport, you know. But the NBA is loved all over the world. And um, they were just waiting on a team to come up there. When I came up there and played two friendly games against the Canadian national team when I was on the 91 Pan American team, uh, just to see fans come around, watch that game, to be able to walk around the city. This is before the Raptors were even thought of and see how nice and clean and, and, and cool the people were. I was like, man, this would be a great place for, uh, uh, you know, an NBA team. And before you know it, boom, three years later, four years later, we have a team. So, uh, you know, I, I think there were certain things that were put there on purpose to kind of test the market. Um, yep. Same thing with Vegas, Vegas right now. They've had the summer league there for a while now. Um, they have tons of preseason games. They have the aces there. They've been testing the market for years. Uh, all they were waiting on was to clear the, the uh, gambling thing. I think there's going to be an NBA team in Las Vegas soon. It, it's just, you know, they test the grounds first, and then they make their move. And I, and I think that, you know, Toronto in more ways than one passed the test. Well, what did you think then, Tracy? I mean, you know, when you look at what happened, you know, in 2019, and you look at the reaction that you saw in Toronto, like literally millions of people in the street when the, when the Raptors won that championship, did that surprise you in any way or did you see that coming? Didn't <laughs> surprise me at all. You know, just to see the people out in the streets celebrating the Raptors. They've been there from the beginning. You should have seen the streets when we won that against the Bulls. And that wasn't even a championship. So could you imagine winning a championship for that city? What would happen? I mean, it was, it was incredible just to sit on my couch and watch the celebration. Um, I, I literally had tears going down my face because I felt like a proud papa. My kid has made it. And um, hats off to that team, Kawhi, and, and everybody that, that brought a championship to that city. Um, because if you look at us laying the foundation in the inaugural year, and you look at, you know, then you have T-Mac come in and, and, and Vince come in, and they're doing their thing. Marcus Camby was the second draft pick that, that had a big name. So you saw the foundation being set, the layers being set. Uh, the Vince Carter era took it through the roof and made – uh, NBA basketball, you know, a sellout every night. It also helped to move out of the Sky Dome and into the Air Canada Center, uh, now right. Scotiabank. Um, but but it, it was it was it made sense. And I saw the plan for that arena the very first year we were there. So the plans was already there. The building was already chosen. 
Uh, I saw the, the model of the arena. I mean, it, it was already in motion the first year. So I knew big things were coming. When I signed as a free agent to Washington, I did not want to go. Um, it was a situation where I had to take care of my family um, because if I was to gamble again, gamble again and stay there for another couple of years, the person I make the deal with for the long-term deal is now gone. So will my deal still be on the table? Isaiah was gone a couple of years later. So, you know, it, it, it was a real weird situation that I was stuck in. Uh, he would have taken care of me. I think I would have proven I, that I was worth more than what he put on the table uh, for for a couple of years later. But I would have had to stay at minimum for like two more years. And my my family couldn't have taken that, you know, and not 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 uh, with the Toronto uh, or, or the Canadian taxes. There's no way my family could have taken, you know, three years at two hundred and fifty thousand. There's no way. So I had to take right. the deal. I was very un I was very unhappy leaving. I cried that night. I took the deal. You know, a lot of, only my inner circle knew that. You know, because I was extremely happy where I was. Finally. You know, I'm accepted in the place, and the and the fans accept me. I have fun teammates, and you know, I have a coaching staff that believes in me, and I have an upper management that believed in me. I was involved in helping. Um, same with with Damon. You know, we would be in, and I'm sure that Oliver and Carlos were in these meetings too. Isaiah um, came to everybody to see. You know, would you would you like playing with Doug Christie, for example? Yes, go get him. We went and got uh -huh. Doug Christie. Um, what about Sharon Wright? We need a big man in the paint. We don't have anybody. Oliver is, is great in the paint, but he can do so much more than just post up. This will free up Oliver to go on a perimeter, to be a, a playmaker and knock down a shot, have a high-low action with Sharon. We'll have somebody that can score in the paint. Are you guys cool with that? Yeah, go get it. You know, so guys actually had, you know, a say-so in, in, in putting together the team and if they, if they thought that the person would mesh or not. And, you know, you can't do that with everybody um, because you can't give everybody that power. But it just felt good being included in, you know, putting together the structure of the team and, it was an unbelievable experience. I learned a lot about the responsibilities of being the top two guys on the team. You have a lot more responsibility than just playing basketball. The guys in the middle, you know, your job is to come, whatever appearances that you're given, do your appearances, but mainly come to practice, work your butt off, be ready to play. Top two guys sell the game of basketball. The guys at the end barely holding on, it's, it's stress city for them because I need to get on the court. I need to get up in that middle area so I can last a while. Otherwise, you're just hanging on. So I, I've been in all three levels. So I know the stresses at the bottom. I know the stresses at the top. The most comfortable place you can be is in the middle of the NBA. Uh, but, but I learned a lot that year. A lot more on on the court, a lot, lot of stuff off the court, no no doubt about that. Now, so you ended up in Washington, and uh, and uh, the fifty point night, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was a drawback to my high school days. 
Um, there was no George Mirasan, no Chris Weber, no Jawan Howard. Um, we had tons of guys hurt. We really only had seven guys in uniform. We signed Lawrence Moulton that day. So he had on like a jersey with no name on the back of it. Um, he was just there to maybe fill in a couple of minutes if, if need be. But um, plenty of opportunity. I had just come from the three-point contest, so I felt like I was an all-star even though I, I wasn't an all-star. But when you participate in that weekend, you feel special. So that was our first game after all-star break. Um, I came in feeling good. Um, and and uh, plenty of shots and opportunity, just like Isaiah said up in Toronto, it was that for a game. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that was a, that was a day where I felt like um, we were gonna um, have a good. Oh, you, you guys saw Malia right there. She poked her head yeah. in the screen. Hi, Malia. Um, <laughs> but but that that's when that's when you, that's when you see um, you have to take advantage of a situation. That that was a situation where. We're still fighting for a playoff spot, even though guys are injured. So every, this was an opportunity to get a win over um, a young, talented Warrior team that also had a bunch of injuries. So we, we took advantage of it. Rod Strickland had probably one of the most monstrous nights of his career, as, uh, along with my 50-point game. So I've never seen a triple-double like that in my life. And then, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, my night, which, you know, so solidified me as a pretty good scorer. Yeah, I'd say so. Drew, you got something for Trayton? Yeah, um, obviously you played against a lot of guys. You were a big-time scorer from the high school, uh, you know, all the way to college where you killed it there. And even, again, we just mentioned your prowess scoring the ball. For you, every time you went into a game, no doubt there was somebody there that was hell-bent, and that was their plan, that was their goal, even though they may not have been successful every time, to stop or to limit Tracy Murray. Who, in your estimation, uh, were, say, the top three players that you played against that gave you fits and that, you know, sometimes you, you really had to dig down to get, you, to get your points against? All right, from a from an offensive standpoint, um, I hated guarding Tracy McGrady. I mean, this dude had the ball in his hands. He was coming off pick and rolls. He can shoot. He was explosive. He was a playmaker. He can post up, long and athletic. Uh, he was a nightmare matchup, you know, for a guy like me who wasn't as quick, uh, didn't have um, a reputation of being a great defender. So uh, uh, Tracy McGrady coming up the court is definitely a scary sight. Um, I mean, offensively, another person was Grant Hill in his prime, you know, and, mm -hmm. and defensively as well. He, he was a total right. package. Right, um, right. two-way And, and Grant, Grant, Hill in, Grant Hill in his prime, man, was woo-wee. Uh, but the person defensively that I hated seeing coming, and it was – for a number of reasons. It's because, number one, he was wiry, strong, long, athletic, 6'8", uh, high energy, high motor, um, motivated to shut your water off. Um, we'll fight through every screen, and we'll keep you in front of him. And if you do happen to get by him, he had Alonzo Mourning as a shot blocker. 
And so that was Keith Askins. I hated oh, right. seeing that dude coming. He great defender, man. He was like Michael Cooper. Great defender. Uh, feisty. You know, I didn't have to worry about him too much offensively, but defensively, man, right. he was a whew, he was a he was a load to deal with. Um, but but yeah, I mean those guys right there. I mean a lot, lot of people look at look at me in the small forward position, and they would have thought I said Scottie Pippen. Uh-huh. Much respect to Scottie Pippen. I love Scottie Pippen. Always have loved this game. Much respect. But I didn't have problems with him like I had with those guys. Maybe because he was more of a, a, a you know, he was behind Mike and he was, you know, wasn't as aggressive as, say, Mike was. So, you know, I didn't have to be on my P's and Q's all the time like I did with Grant and Tracy because they had the ball in their hands. So, you know, Scotty would have it part of the time, but everybody knew Michael was the first priority. So so I didn't have as much problems with Scotty as, you know, say some other people would have. But Grant Hill, Tracy McGrady offensively in their primes, and, and, and then Grant defensively along with uh, um, Keith Askins defensively, woo-wee. I mean, those those guys I had problems with. Tracy, when you uh, when when you when you it was when it was time to step away from the game, it's never an easy thing for uh, a lot of athletes to do no. to step away from the game. But I, I I was particularly difficult for you. Do you are you okay to talk about a little bit of that? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah. um, after basketball for me, uh, it was like I was the last player to Knicks in two thousand four. I went over to Greece and played for two and a, two years, uh, and then I played a year in France, and that was it for me. I played three years overseas afterwards. Uh, my body couldn't take it. Um, father time wins, um, mm-hmm. but but um, I loved the game so much. I thought I was going to play it forever, and honestly, I wasn't prepared to give it up. And so when the door slammed in my face and the doors locked behind it and latched and nailed shut. It was, it was a hard pill to swallow for me, you know, and and a lot of people talk about, um, you know, mental health and all of that stuff. I I went through my phase of mental health during that time. It was a very depressing time for me, you know, to be, to, uh, there was a time where the, the, the last straw was, you know, this is, I was 36 years old when this happened. The last straw was uh, my dad kicked in my bedroom door, came through there, lifted up all the shades, and told me to get my ass out the bed. He said, look, bro, you're 36 years old. You have your whole life ahead of you. You're young. Get out there, figure out what you're going to do, and move forward. So we, we talked for a while, and I was like, Dad, you know, you told me to have such focus for so many years that I was focused and I only loved one thing and I developed no interest outside of basketball. Um, so, so what am I going to do? You know, I started trying to do music. You told me to get away from that. That is just a hobby. Focus on what you're doing. Um, that was the only other love I had. Um, took classes in, in, in elementary and high school with just different music stuff. I did a trombone. I did drums. Um, but, but, I never got to go detail with it because I was focused on, on that round ball. So 
we sat there and talked and we were, were just going over different jobs that you can do that was still associated with the game. Of course, coaching is going to be first and foremost because I have 15 years of basketball camps where I've instructed, you know, kids on how to play the game the correct way. That's the easy part. Um, but there are a million people that are coaches. Um, I wasn't the biggest name in the NBA, so why would somebody hire me right away? Um, but I but I started, you know, looking around to see who, who were coaches and if they needed help. And, and Coach Herrick, my college coach, Jim Herrick, uh, was uh, head coach at the Bakersfield Jam D-League team at the time, D-League. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there was an opening. They had m- made a mentorship program, and they assigned a former NBA player as a mentor, and coach also brought me on as a part-time assistant coach along with him and Sean Rooks. So God rest Sean Rooks' soul. That's my brother, man, and uh, he's, he left us too soon. Um, but so I started doing that, being a full-time mentor and a part-time assistant coach. I was able to start fulfilling that coaching side. But the D-League wasn't paying anything, so that couldn't be like a career. I mean, that was at the beginning where you're trying to prove yourself to see um, if you can move into somebody's coaching staff or somebody's organization. Um, So after the third year, they got rid of the mentorship program. And and so from there, um, I was just – Coach Herrick had, had gotten let go at that time, and there was a new coach, so I'm just on there helping out. So I'm also taking classes in Santa Monica for broadcasting so I can try to uh, uh, make a transition to whatever was going to be a job first. So it ended up being broadcasting. So I've been in broadcasting now for about 13 years. Um I've been with UCLA basketball for uh, 12 years now. I do some stuff with ABC7, the Slam Dunk Show. Um, so I was able to make that transition. And then 2015, the Lakers came calling because uh, I guess it was fashionable to start trying to hire some shooting coaches. So uh-huh. um, I put my resume in. Um, I went in, uh, talked to Mitch Kupchak and Byron Scott, and, and I got hired. So that experience of, of being a shooting coach and being back on the road again and, and working, with, it, it, was, it was a great experience, but it wasn't my favorite experience in the world. I mean, because you ha- when you have a young team in Los Angeles and everything that comes with L.A., um, people put basketball on the back burner, and that's their job. You know, you got guys all over the place, but we have to drag them out of the locker room just to get some work in. So that was a tough thing to do. You know, if they don't want it, how can you how can you pass on your knowledge if they don't want it? So um, I was told that I was going to be there a while. That's the only reason why I left broadcasting. Obviously, that wasn't the truth. So that's another reason why that experience wasn't the favorite Thing in my book. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I, I love the coaching staff. I really enjoyed working with them. Those are my brothers anyway. Um, Byron Scott was my big brother when I was in college. Paul Pressey has always passed on a lot of knowledge to me and always been a great guy, fierce competitor. 
Uh, Larry Lewis, great coach. Uh, we played against each other in summer leagues all the time. Thomas Scott, Byron Scott's son. I've been knowing him since he was a kid. J.J. Outlaw, been knowing him since he was a kid. He was a ball boy for us in Washington and when his dad was an assistant coach to Bernie Bickerstaff. So the staff, Mark Matson was my teammate with the Lakers. The staff was incredible. It wasn't the staff. Um, plus, I was able to be with Kobe in his last year. Um, that was an experience, man, to, to watch him uh, try to compete night in, night out. Uh, some days his body couldn't do it. But to leave on that 60-point game when he did, God rest his soul, man. Uh, he, he, he really, he, really uh, he started off slow, but boy, did he heat up. And I, it, that was a legendary performance on the way out. Oh yeah, that was great. So, what would be the yeah. what would be the uh, the message you would you would have for somebody who uh, was maybe suffering in in the, in the way that you did with the depression coming out of the game, or, or for for or for any reason for that matter? <clears throat> well, I mean, your your profession, especially you know, profession. You know, I I never thought that you know, playing basketball for a living was a job. It's not a job. You know, I'm do when you're doing something you love to do, it's not a job. Um, so when you're coming out of a situation like that, it's a death of a career. Um, I, I, I've been suggesting to the NBA for years to have – you guys have all of these programs to help guys coming in, but you have nothing to help guys going out. They need a mm -hmm. transitional program going out. You know, I, I think it's it's needed because there are there are guys around the world when their careers are over. You know, that I, I say ninety nine percent of them feel like they were kicked out. There's only one percent of them that feels like, okay, I'm done. Um, um, you know, Vince Carter walked away when he wanted to. Uh, Kobe walked away when he wanted to. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, everybody else got kicked out. So, so you're dealing with not being wanted. Uh, the door's nailed shut. You can't come back through that door for anything else. Um, so it's like it's like you come back around. You know, you got people saying, "What do you want? You know, why are you here?" They're asking you questions like, "Did you take care of your money?" This has nothing to do with a money issue. It has everything to do with a love issue. I've loved this game since I was a baby. Since I was five years old, I've been playing this game organized wise how can I get back to what I love? You know, and, and that's the only thing that I love. So that was the, that's the problem with a lot of these guys are dealing with when they get kicked out with the, with the mental health situation. And that's the most comfortable thing that they're used to dealing with. Um, a lot of guys don't like or, or not comfortable with trying new things, especially at 35, 36, 37 years old is, is, is my suggestion to most people, and I know it was, I was long-winded about it, but my suggestion is while you're in and they have all, instead of taking these, you know, summer trips like we all used to do and, you know, and, you know enjoy the fruits of your labor and take your family here and do this and hang out and party all summer, instead of doing that stuff, my suggestion is find something you're interested in and start doing it and start building it so by the time you're out of the league, you have a smooth transition into something. And the NBA have tons of internships you can do throughout the summer and the off season. They have those relationships, but you have to be willing to leave 
your area that you're comfortable in and go spend a summer maybe in New York or somewhere else where they have these internships or up to Connecticut if you want to be a broadcaster. That's where a lot of these guys are popping on ESPN because they're going up to Harvard, mm-hmm. Connecticut, doing internships up there. If you have something that you're interested in, start tapping in when they're telling you to do it because the door is closed when you're gone. You're not going to be able to do it. So, you know, that's my suggestion. Take advantage of the programs they have for you while you're in. Right. Oh, Tracy, that, 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 that's awesome stuff. Before we let you go, I want to get you know, just a little bit of a, a preview of the upcoming NBA season. Do you have a team that you see, uh, maybe a couple of teams that you see, maybe a team coming out of the uh, East, a team coming out of the West, and somebody you think might win it all? Lakers. <laughs> the yeah. Lakers, they loaded up again. Uh, yeah, they loaded up and they're ready to go again. I, I say the Lakers yeah. uh, out of the West. The Lakers winning it all. Um, the difficult thing to say is who is going to play them. That right. that's the difficult thing because the East Coast is, you know, the Eastern Conference is wide open. It can be anybody from Toronto to Celtics to Philly to Miami again. I mean, it, it's 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 Milwaukee. I I didn't say them, but it can be them. Right. I mean, it's right. it's so wide open the the Eastern Conference. No telling what's going to happen over there. James Harden going to end up in Brooklyn? I don't know, but you got Brooklyn is something to consider because they did a lot of great things without their two stars. Now you add their two stars to the mix, a three stars. My bad, DeAndre Jordan was out too. So you add right. those three guys to what they've already done, and you know they already got to the playoffs without those three guys. So now you add the three money makers to the to the mix, and you know it's it's something it's an interesting uh, uh, dynamic there in the Eastern Conference. You have to look at Brooklyn now. You really do. Yeah, that's. A, uh, that's I, don't a gonna, I don't know if Harden. I don't know if Harden's going to get there, because if yeah. Harden goes there. It's gonna. I think it's gonna disrupt more than help. Maybe right. Yeah. Would you give up as well, right? Another guy that needs the ball in his hands. Yeah. Can't give it to everybody. Right. What do you (laughs) think? You got got Kyrie and Kate. You got Kyrie and KD already. You know they already. You know need the ball. Uh, uh, I, I think they don't need the ball as much as James does, but. I mean, Kyrie's a, a, a point. He's going to have a ball in his hands. So James is going to handle the ball just as much as Kyrie. And then you got the best scorer, natural scorer in the league on the team that needs the ball. So it's like that dynamic of having three guys that need the ball, that's tough. I've, I've always yeah. said uh, a championship team, you need two studs and the rest are very good role players. I've always said that. You don't need three. Uh-huh. Yeah, but what are your thoughts, Drew, on that? You see, what do you see coming? Who who you see in the championship? I mean, it's almost unfair to see what the Lakers were able to do. Pick up Matthews, uh, Montrez, uh, yeah, like oh my goodness, it, like it's it, Marcus Gasol. It's, it's just Gasol, not fair. Last night. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the Lakers. I think I think they're coming out. They're the favorites to me to win it. I look at what. Um, Having you know, you just resign. I think that bigger than 
Uh, I just don't know if they can get over that hump. They've had troubles. They've been great and regular. There's something about that organization. The playoffs doesn't, um, you know, doesn't pan out. I have a feeling, though, that Harden may end up in Miami. And if he ends up in Miami, somehow they have a lot of young assets they could give away. They're going to be tough if they get a James Harden coming out of the East. Um, and Trace, the fact that you said mentioned Toronto, that is, you're probably one of the only few in America that understand what the Raptors have. Without, yeah, they they lost. Of course, they lost Gasol. They lost Serge. But I'm telling you, knowing these young guys that I've covered, even in when they were in the G League, guys like Freddie, uh, guys like Norman. Uh, you know, you look at Chris Boucher. A lot of talent that's very hungry on the Toronto Raptors. And they still have Kyle Lowry. If Siakam gets back to, you know, where he was 23 a game, doing it and shooting threes, and then the X-Factor, OG Ananobi, everybody looking over the Raptors, we shall see in the East. I don't think they're going to be silent. That's for sure. Well, well you know, well, the Raptors play defense, too. You know, as long as they I, have Nick Nurse, that has a defensive game plan, uh, he'll go a zone, he'll do a trap, he'll do all kinds of things to throw you off just walking the ball up and going into a pick and roll. He'll have all kinds of different uh, gimmicks defensively. Yeah, you have tons of talent up there. I, I know the talent. I watched Chris Boucher for years. I watched him when he was with Oregon. I, right. I, I, you know, right. I, I mean, Norman, Powell, Norman Powell's a Bruin. I've been watching Norman for a while, and I watched him develop. Um, uh, then you said Spicy P is always in L.A. working out, so I always see him. I had a talk with Fred, um, and, and we worked Fred out when I was with the Lakers, and I, and I told the Lakers when he, when he was that workout, he didn't have the best workout, but I was like, look, don't pay attention to what you see here because this is not a real basketball situation. You got, you're throwing three guys together. Well, six guys on each side, and you tell them to go play three on three, and you tell them to do this, and you tell them to do that. I said, look at what he's done at Wichita State. Don't look, look at basketball. Mm -hmm. Don't be lazy. Winner. Watch the Winner. tape. Watch what he can do. Yeah, so I already, I already liked him. He didn't have to prove it to me in a workout. But, you know, they weren't seeing it. Oh, he's not as big as we thought he was, and he's really a two. I'm like, look. He's a basketball player. So um, I, I've, I've always liked Fred. So um, you guys have an OG, very good two-way player. Um, Here he goes. Here he comes. Know, this I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is a year where he can step up. So, you know, Does they, he have want a really good nucleus. they have a real good nucleus. Kyle Lowry's a great leader. Um you know, it's like I've been knowing Kyle for years, too. He works out in Las Vegas every summer. So um, just to see the opportunity that they have in front of them, and, and, and this is something that a lot of people don't know. The Toronto Raptors always have a chip on their shoulder. Why? Because we never get the respect that we deserve. Mm -hmm. They're never talking mm -hmm. about us, you know, when it comes to being no, the championship. Game. No, yeah, no. <laughs> see what I'm saying? No yep. Christmas Day game. Uh, uh, another thing is yeah. the inaugural year we were on national TV one time, yeah. and that and we and you know who we beat that night? The Seattle SuperSonics. That's another game we didn't talk about. That was a signature win for us that first year with Sean Kemp and Gary Payton. So 
you know, so it's like the only time we hit national televised games was when uh, Air Canada was flying around all over the place. That's the only time <laughs> we hit national TV in the United States. Vince Carter brought that to the table. He was a must-see TV. Yeah. You know, and, and some, sometimes if you're playing the game the right way, winning basketball is boring. I tell people that all the time. I tell our AAU team this all the time. I averaged 44 points a game in high school, and we won all the time, and it was probably the most boring 44 points a game that you could see. <laughs> I've only had maybe 44 two or three dunks boring, a game. Yeah. yeah, but these kids, they think that you have to make people fall and do a fancy crossover and, and right. do a James Harden setback and make people fall. Fall down when you're hitting a three. Don't make the game difficult. Winning is winning is hard, but if you keep it simple, you have a better chance of winning. Right, and you know, you talked about all those guys like Vince Carter and the effect that they had on on basketball, and even like Mighty Mouse and, and yourself. You know, when you guys came in and Absolutely. getting out to the community, and and then and then Carter comes along, and now you've got you know Wiggins and Barrett and all these guys and Lamar, uh, you know Murray and 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 uh, you know crazy crazy talent. Yeah, Raptor babies. I call them Raptor babies. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. what they are. They yeah. came out of their little shell because think about it. And, Drew, you've been on, on grassroots level for years. These kids finally had an opportunity. When you have an NBA team in your city uh-huh. and the, the Raptors did good at having Raptor camps and all kinds of stuff to help develop the talent around there, help give people resources to to maybe get to certain places they couldn't get to before. You know, so you see this talent base just grow. And and, and I, every time I see a kid from Toronto and I'm broadcasting their game, I always talk to them before the game. A lot of them don't know who I am now because I'm old. Um, but, you know, I, I, but, but I have the opportunity to talk to them. You know, I have the opportunity to talk to them. I, I, I let them know. I, say, I, I always tell them, I call you guys Raptor babies because – if it wasn't yeah. for that Raptor organization being there and what we did to lay the foundation, you guys yeah. probably wouldn't be here, you know. And, 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 and I appreciate and I love to see the talent base grow. And I love to see these kids' dreams come true. You see tons of kids in college, overseas, and in the NBA that are from Toronto or Canada in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's more more on the way, more on the way. I got one oh, last question here before we go. One, one sure. please, no. yeah, before you know. we go, I want to say, uh, okay, so you you played for the Raptors, okay? Yep. Uh, you played for the Lakers. You were an assistant coach for the Lakers. LA's you basically hometown. Uh, which championship meant more to you, the Raptors championship in 2019 or the Lakers championship last year? Well, I didn't win the Lakers championship, so <laughs> and I didn't win the Raptors. I, I, I didn't win the Raptors championship either, but right, to me, right. I had more, just of, by, more, as an, I had more, more of a yeah. sense of pride. I had more of a sense of pride with the Raptors championship because the Lakers were winning championships before I was born. I grew up in that. I grew up watching Showtime. I grew up being a Laker fan, so I felt like I was a Laker. Um, but to actually be there from day one, to, you have a different sense of pride. 
to see the growth over 25 years and finally win a championship. It's a, def- it's a different sense of pride. You know, where the Lakers win championships a lot, you're like, well, they won another one. You see the Raptors win yeah. the first championship right. in 25 years before, you know, and, and, and you got to keep in mind, there's, there's still some teams in the league that's never won a championship. Right. And for them to do it in 25 years, you know, I, I was like, man, we won. We won a championship. That's the way I felt. That's awesome. Uh, Drew, final word? Yeah, incredible. I think you make a great point, Tracy. Um, there's so many kids. I just uh, did a piece um, you know, for, uh, CBC sports, uh, on, you know, top four, you know, women, top four men playing the NCAA, you look almost every night I'm watching their games all the time. And almost every game, there's one or two Canadians, one or two Torontonians, uh, on the court. And I'll tell you, there's over 150, uh, men playing in NCAA and over a hundred women playing. And then you have the kids playing overseas and you have, of course, the kids coming up uh, in the league, and then you have a kid like Elijah Fisher, uh, you know, that awesome, was just yeah. did a feature on him. Uh, we have great uh, relationship with their organization at, at Crestwood Prep, and I say to Tracy, thank you so much. You thank you for being patient with Torontonians, especially the ones that did not understand basketball and were learning for the first time. There were doubts. <laughs> there were doubts about. <laughs> Team would last and be here. There were doubts about if this country was going to embrace basketball. I think personally, there's been attempts to suppress the growth, to be honest. And I've spoken to a lot of people behind the scenes, but I'll tell you right now, it is on its way and it continues to go. A lot more private facilities are going up. There's probably about 10 new ones in the GTA right now uh, that have gone up since COVID. And so I always say, if you think Canada was good at basketball the last five years, the last 10 years, the last 15, the last 20, which mainly due to the Raptors, mainly due to Vince Carter, mainly due to Steve Nash. Um, you watch, guys, over the next five years, basketball is going to continue to rise. And I predict, as I said, and other people, I think uh, Rowan Barrett has said, there will be probably 40 players of Canadian background in the NBA within the next five years. Or more. Wow. <laughs> and, you, wow. And, and you know what? And I'm, and I'm not doubting that because there's an NBA team in their town that they get to look up to. There are NBA players from their turf that, you know, Jamal Murray is just taking it and, and just running with it now. He's, he's a star. So when you, when you see a guy like that, you see him walking around your neighborhood, you see Wig not walking around your neighborhood, it's like these guys are, are, are who they're looking up to now. We're old. We're, you know, pretty much gone. These guys are taking it. And even Vince is now gone. They're taking it, and they're taking it to level. And you, you got to give those kids credit for working and having dreams and, and wanting to achieve their dreams because without work towards, towards – or without having a dream and working towards it, Canadian basketball doesn't grow. So you got to credit all of these kids for being motivated and having dreams and wanting to be the best. Well, oh, another and, and thing. Credit to both of you another guys. Thing. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Adrian. Finley Prep is coming back. And you know a lot of Canadians went through Finley Prep. Oh, okay. So Finley, cool. Finley, Prep is, Finley, Finley Prep is coming back. So, you know, look forward to that, you know, Toronto pipeline coming through there again. 
Definitely. Hey. Anthony Bennett, Corey Joseph, you know, you go down the line. Dylan Brooks, who's in the league. Tristan like Thompson. Tristan, of course. Like, look at how many yeah. players. Amazing uh, organization, Finley Prep. Great to hear. Yeah, well, and listen. Let, yeah, and, yeah, it's good Tracy, to see you back. Uh, good, uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, good luck with the Bruins. I hope they uh, go a long way. I think you got a big game coming up with Ohio State. Both teams five and one. That's going to be a big, big game for you guys, right? Uh, the yeah. uh, I, I want to thank you. Come on now, get some more Canadians on that UCLA roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. That's 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 a that's above my that's above my pay grade. I I need to be on the bench in order to do. If I if I was on the yeah, bench, yeah. I would be up there. Trust me. Yeah, well, definitely. Just, just throw out there a few times a game. You know, if they had a few more Canadians on this team, I'm just saying. Right. Anyway, thank you guys. You guys have Canada, Canada basketball, as, as as Drew is saying, is on the way up, and, and I mean skyrocketing, right? Mm -hmm. And and both of you guys have a lot to do with that. And I I thank you for being on the show here today. And uh, as, as, as being a guest at Joe Tilly Sports, we've got a Clumbling foursome for you. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, Tracy, there are some Clumbling courses in Florida. So if you uh, happen to go uh, on a road trip out there, we can, we can, we can hook you up. So uh, remember, folks, we're all in it together. And uh, we got more on Joe Tilly Sports coming up. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Clublink. Clublink. One membership, more golf. Excuse me. Yeah, let me introduce you to Steve. Having the round of his life, finally going to pick up some skins, then he gets here, and now this. Try entering and exiting the bunker on the same low side, and then just a couple of swipes with this to clean things up, and everything will be hunky-dory. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at cosaonline.com. Also, check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round and go to freescratch.ca for your chance to win a new fabulous prize every day with COSA. Time now for our weekly sports analytics segment. Here's Kwame Bryan. Hi, my name is Kwame. I'm a developer ambassador here at Algrand. And again, we're bringing you the stats for this week. And you can see here that we have stats for both the winning uh, records of the Lakers from this year and of the Raptors from the 2019 season. Now that you have this, Joe, 
who you think would win in the matchup between the Raptors and the Lakers based on these stats. Waiting for our next assignment. Thank you very much. You know what, Kwame? That would have been a great matchup. Uh, both teams had a lot of skill, but you know what? That Raptors team was just on a mission. I think what would have happened is Fred Van Vliet would have hit a three-pointer with no time left in game six, and the Raps would have beaten the Lake Show uh, in, in six games. So there you go. And uh, just like they did the Warriors, all right? Okay, time now for my COSA Swiss pick of the week. And last week, you know, I took Not So Cool in Friday night's second race in Mohawk. Had a decent trip, but ran into some congestion at the top of the stretch. Got boxed in a little bit, trying to hang on along the rail, but horse traded the number 10 horse with Jean-Bernard Renault came flying on the outside for the win over Cantabernet. Not So Cool had to settle for third. Man, it was close, but just not cool enough. My record now is uh, one-third and one-fourth, but... Look at that. Just nipped out of the wire. But we'll fix that this week. We're looking at Friday night's eighth race of Mohawk. And I like the number six horse, B2B. Scott Coulter drives B2B, who will be in the winner's circle. He's got two wins and a third in his last three starts. Remember to visit Costa TV on Facebook for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Go to freescratch.ca for your chance to win a fabulous prize every day. Go ahead. Anybody can do it. All right, the NHL uh, season is coming up on January 13th, it looks like. They're trying to finalize a 56-game season. Looks like they're on the verge of doing that. Might be an all-Canadian division, which would be very interesting. By the way, the oddsmakers have Connor McDavid as the uh, 4-1 to favorite to win the Hart Trophy, a slight favorite over Nathan McKinnon. Austin Matthews is listed at 14-1 to down the road a little bit. Alex Ovechkin is a 5-1 to choice for the Rocket Richard Award for most goals in the season. Austin Matthews is seven to one. He's got. Uh, he's considered to have a shot at that. I think Austin might win it. Anyway, Freddie Anderson is twelve to win the Vesna, coming off a kind of a so-so year for Freddie. Connor Hellbuck and Andre Vasilevsky are the co-favorites at six to one. A little bit of boxing news for you. A big buzz now in the heavyweight division. Anthony Joshua put his WBO, WBO, and uh, WBA, WBO, and IBF titles on the line against Kubrat Pulev. The Bulgarian was 28-1. His only loss coming against Vladimir Klitschko six years ago. Joshua used a solid jab, big right hand, a series of uppercuts to drop Pulev in third. Looked like he might be stopped. Pulev stayed in the fight, was actually competitive until the ninth, and then Joshua landed some vicious uppercuts, just ridiculous, and a crushing right hand, and that was the fight. Joshua now 24-1 with 22 knockouts. His only loss, of course, to Andy Ruiz, which he uh, later would uh, avenge. Uh, of course, we all want to see the big unification bout with Tyson Fury. Uh, the undefeated Gypsy King blasted Deontay Wilder in his last fight, improving to 30-0 with or 30-0-1 with uh, 21 knockouts. It'd be a great fight. A couple of big dudes who could both box a lot, like great boxers. Both these guys for big men. Uh, Fury, amazing hand speed. Be a terrific, uh, a terrific fight. Joshua, he's got hand speed as well. Lots of power, but I think uh, I'd give Fury the edge in that. Either way. Uh, big time boxing is back, folks. We're looking forward to that. The NFL season, uh, to wrap up to where we are right now, Buffalo Bills, another huge win. Uh, victory over the Steelers to stretch their lead in the AFC East. After a slow start, Josh Allen really got it going in the second half. Stephon Diggs, wow, what can you say about him? What a night he had. The Bills are, are the real deal, folks. Nobody can, is going to argue that now. The Buffalo Bills are for real. Uh, might still might have a shot at grabbing the number two seed in the AFC. They can pretty much wrap up the division anyway with the win over Denver. Uh, the Chiefs win again. 
gutting out a victory over the Dolphins to improve to 11-1. and They're probably going to take the number one seed. Taysom Hill finally lost the game. Saints' uh, uh, nine-game winning streak got snapped by the Eagles. But all that means is that Taysom Hill will not get the start when the playoffs come around. They'll give the ball to Drew Brees, and nobody will be able to argue that now that Taysom Hill's got his loss. Packers have uh, – they can pretty much control their own destiny in the NFC. They get a bye. They close with an easy schedule after that. And uh, what a Monday night we saw against two of the up-and-coming quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, looking to many future tilts between Lamar Jackson and, and Baker Mayfield could be a legendary, uh, legendary rivalry building here in a couple of division rivals. So a reminder to subscribe to Joe Tilly Sports on YouTube. You don't want to miss out, folks. You And we're going to close with a look at the folks who make this show possible. These are all friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great folks I highly recommend them all. Once again, uh, uh, thank big thank you to our guests, Tracy Murray and Drew Ebanks. And thank you for watching. We'll see you next week. Get Aldo at REMAX Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416-GET-ALDO or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. RS Demolition and Excavation has extensive experience with complete teardowns and interior strip-outs. Looking to build a custom home? RS Excavating Services has the experience you need to build in established neighborhoods. For the highest level of quality and cost-efficient results, we provide innovative demolition solutions completed on time and on budget while ensuring our number one priority, safety. Call 647-852-3006 for an estimate or visit rsdemolition.ca. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. The Painting Pros. Want to freshen up a single room, change the appearance of your entire home, update the look of an older property, or completely transform your building? Go with the pros. Our fully insured team is skilled in surface preparation, selection of the proper finishes, as well as the application of the selected paint coatings. The perfect finish for your home or business. Call the painting pros, 289-830-2331, or visit thepaintingpros.ca. You voted it wrong and it went the be Now look what's happening in the Middle East Until it come down from the sky It's up to us to know